It is Thursday, finance at quarter past 12. And Stephen Pritchard, before we take a look at how commodities are travelling, many businesses these days are aiming to send invoices by email, electronic invoices. And some of them indicate that they'll charge if you want a paper invoice. Yeah, I mean, uh, particularly the utility suppliers try and, um, a personal experience I had this week with one of them that, you know, tried to charge $1.75 for an invoice. And, you know, they can't actually do that. I mean, under the, the Goods and Services Tax Act, if, the, if you buy something worth more than $82.50, they have to give you an invoice. Now, if you haven't got any, if you don't have an email or you choose not to give them an email, they still have to give you an invoice by law. And there's no provision under the Act for them to charge. Okay. So, that, so they, in order to comply with the law, they have to give you an invoice and they can't charge for it. So, And, and as soon as I pointed this out to, to one of the large energy suppliers, the dollar seventy five charge was suddenly dropped. And I said to them, I said, yeah, well, you're basically dishonest here. You, you try to charge people for that, that you're not entitled to charge for. And I, and I think, you, you know, you need to stand up to these people. And if you don't want an electronic invoice or you don't have email, just tell them you're not taking an electronic one. They've got to supply it by law, and you're not paying for it. And there's a minimum charge. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. They've to got happen. to give. They've got to give you one for, for if the if the if the in, amount purchased is more than eighty two dollars fifty, they have to give you a tax invoice. But if it's less than eighty two fifty, you can ask for it. I mean, that's just an administrative thing. You know, you go into the coffee shop, you don't want a tax invoice. So, <laughs> so, but True. if you, but but you know, but if you ask for it, they've got to give you one. Okay. Right. So, so you know, stand up to the these billing entities and just say you you know, you've got all my Lord give it, and we don't have to pay. I can see a new. And, and the other thing is with your energy, this is an energy supply. And, and the other little trick they're doing now is that they put you on these discount plans, and at the end of twelve months they run out, but they don't tell you. Uh-huh. So you go back to the old rate. I see. So suddenly, and, and I think you know, people need to basically tell them they're basically dishonest. In the meantime, let's take a look at something that might be a bit more honest, and that is commodities. Uh, commodities are always honest. The gold price is always honest. Um, you know, the gold price is continuing to, to increase, um, mainly because of the uncertainty um, caused by our friends in North Korea who have threatened to bomb someone I heard this morning. Um, it wasn't us, I don't think. Um, no. No. Uh, so the gold price was up a dollar ten overnight to, uh, uh, sorry, up. 1.1% over the week to $1,611.12 an ounce. Uh, the copper price was up 2.75% to $8,158 a tonne. And the crude oil price was up 1.6% to $66.94 a tonne. Now, they're actually probably gone up even higher in US dollar terms, but the $8 has been going up as well. Um, that being said, it's fallen marginally on last week, so we're down to to seventy eight point eight nine cents US cents overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, the Great British Pound we we risen against that again to sixty point six five pence. The euro we've risen slightly to sixty seven euro cents, and against the US uh, against New Zealand dollar we're one dollar and seven. Uh, the oil news market was up slightly on the week to 5816 which is up 0.5%. Um you know we're still still a fair way away from 6000. Um the S&P index was up um 0.7 on the week to 2475 and the Hang Seng index was up almost 1% to 27757. Um a few stocks that local investors have got an interest in. Um BHP was up um 
2.2% to $26.21. So that, that's continuing its recent price increase. Uh, CBA was down 3% uh, to $81.11 on, on the latest scandal, despite reporting uh, record profits of almost $10 billion. Um, and NIB, NIB was up 4% to $6 for the week. Uh, Telstra is continuing to drag along at $4.11. Um, the fuel prices in Newcastle, um, the unleaded fuel was $1.12.4, which is up 6% of the week, and the Sydney price was $1.11, which is up 3.6% for the week. And you had some fuel price comments there? Oh, yes. When we uh, went through Sydney and uh, out, out of Sydney, there was something like 30 cents difference in the unleaded price between the prices there and the prices we'd seen here in Newcastle. And who was the highest? Oh, they were. Oh, that's excellent. Isn't that nice to Excellent news for a change. However, there is a big variation, I noticed, driving along yeah. the streets here too. Yeah, it it pays to I think it pays to keep your eyes open, but I don't think it pays to drive around to save a couple of cents. <laughs> using up all that fuel. Yeah, using up all that fuel. fuel. Yeah. So so you know on a fifty five litre tank, which is kind of an average size tank, I know how that's about much might hold. And if you save ten cents a litre, it's five dollars fifty. Hmm. So well, that's your cup of coffee. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> but it doesn't pay to drive twenty kilometres to save it. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So um. Um, but it seems to be the same service stations that have got the lower prices all the time. So if you're driving past a couple, you know, just make a note. Yeah, just make a note. Mental note. And and diesel, the diesel's a dollar twenty five a litre, which is up seven percent on the week in Newcastle, and dollar twenty two in Sydney, which is down six percent on the week. So that's our fuel commodities and uh, currencies. currencies for the week. All good. Thursday finance, and we will be. Uh... Um, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How Hi. are you? Good. Um, we're, we're getting your favourite telco company to install our fibre connection, which was supposed to be in. Uh, <laughs> supposed to be in. Yes, you can laugh. Uh, the the MBN's cutting the other one off tomorrow, and the fibre's still not here. But anyhow, um, so, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, some good and bad news at uh, CBA by the looks of it. Record yeah. profits and big money laundering problems. Yes, I think they have, they've had some issues with their intelligent deposit machines, which is an oxymoron if nothing else. Um, I think they're going to rename them intelligent washing machines as opposed <laughs> to deposit machines. But um, certainly they've had some issues, and they've had lots of hair shirts around at uh, Commonwealth Bank at the moment with Ian the Rev fronting the, uh, the press and various other people in terms of what's happened there. But, um, you know, the, the profit came in at a bumper I guess ten billion dollar profit with a with a dividend of around uh, two dollars thirty. So um, they're still a money machine, but um, sometimes that money seems to go uh, to the wrong places. But certainly, you know, the, the board seems to have done all the right things. Uh, they've all taken pay cuts in terms of short term incentives, um, and they have been very much on the front foot uh, since the revelations broke last week. So um, that has calmed investors to some extent, and I guess. A ten billion dollar profit is is hard to argue with. And they've got a very good chairman there, so she she's kind of taken control of it. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. Crisis management. She she was uh, formerly the chairman of Telstra when Sol Trujillo managed to rub the government up the wrong way, and uh, she managed to soothe all the nerves along with David Sodi yes. uh, during her uh, her tenure there. So um, it's it's certainly looking a little bit brighter for Commonwealth Bank in terms of. Uh, Managing the uh, the the fallout from this uh, this um, scandal, if that's what it is. 
And then at one of their bank's competitors, IWF, um, claiming record inflows because of uh, a number of bank advisors has defected to IWF. Yeah, this is, this is a good little story, I guess. The independent order of odd fellows um, definitely surprised the market the other day, and the market loves uh, good surprises, not so not so keen on bad surprises. The stocks kicked uh, considerably from around ten bucks to uh, nearly eleven dollars forty at the moment. So doing very well, and as you say, a number of these uh, these new uh, ex bank advisors coming on board and boosting the uh, the funds under management, and it's all looking uh, quite positive for the uh, for the stock. And uh, over at Bellamy's, uh, the share price was was over nine dollars this morning when I was looking going out of the office. Yeah, so, yeah, so they seem to have got their China license back. Yeah, um, for, for listeners who remember, um, Bellamy's had some issues with uh, with their marketing channels into China and licensing issues. And to uh, to negate that, they bought a, a business called Campdown um, Powder, which was uh, which had a license in China and was going to enable them to uh, to continue pushing their products up there. Unfortunately, uh, a day after they completed the purchase, they had their license. Uh, revoked, a bit James Bond-like, um, and uh, their license to sell was revoked, and uh, it was all a bit uncertain as to why. Uh, it seemed like a third-party competitor had dobbed them in for some sort of practices, and finally they've got the license back. They've jumped through all the hoops necessary, um, and the share market, of course, has rewarded that. Um, I don't know if it's got a little carried away. They were up about 8 or 9% yesterday, they're up about another 9% today. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the stock has fallen from highs around 12. Uh, it did get under 4 bucks, and now it's back to 9 bucks. So it's a very, uh, very volatile ride. But um, I think it's starting to get a little bit ahead of itself uh, to some extent. So I think you have to be a little bit careful going forward because uh, just because you've got your license back doesn't mean to say that you're going to be selling lots of products. So mm, yeah. we'll have to wait and see what the actual sales numbers come through with. And and Laura McBain, who is an ex CEO of Bellamy's, has popped yeah. up at um, Primary Opportunities, which Trading Code is pop, by the way. It is. Yeah, and it owns forty eight percent of Maggie Bear products. So. Yeah, the stock's gone bananas. It's up yeah. another twenty five percent today. Um, albeit it's only a three cent stock, it's a very small cap stock, and as you say, it owns forty eight percent of the Maggie Bear brand. Um, and obviously, shareholders are hoping that Laura can weave her magic that she did at Bellamy's before it all fell apart um, on the same uh, stuff with Maggie Beer. So I think she's going to end up with quite a considerable part of the company. So I think she ends up with about 20% of, of pop. Um, and uh, the share price has certainly popped ever since um, she, uh, she has been announced as the new MD. So um, good for her. Good for her. And we might come back and talk about some handbags, amongst other things. Ah, the glad wraps and the handbags. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Stephen Jennings. That gets Stephen. Both Stephen Pritchard. With all the bases. And Henry Jennings. Jennings. Just shorthand. That's right. Henry Pritchard. Yeah, well, you could say that too. Um, but but Oriton, we haven't got our, our clothes mixed up, though. So, um, Oriton, Oriton's going to close their Gap stores, I think. Yeah. Which they I opened mean, after they lost the... the um, Ralph Lauren franchises? Yeah, I mean, Gap was supposed to fill the gap um, after they lost the Ralph Lauren. They had Ralph Lauren for 23 years, and it was a big driver for the company, I guess. Um, and when they lost that franchise and Ralph Lauren went to, went to the loan, they, uh, they looked around for things to, to fill it, and um, they, they looked at Gap. And unfortunately, after many, many years of uh, losses uh, in the business, they had a 10-year franchise deal with another 10-year option for the 
for the company. They've decided to close the whole lot. Um, it's not working out. Um, the share price certainly is not working out at the moment, and they're still conducting sort of that, um, that, that famous strategic review that so many companies do. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I guess it's Oriton still looking for that, um, for that growth and, and other brands to add to the Oriton brand, which is a premium brand. But it, you know, we've seen, unfortunately, consumer sentiment slipping um, in, uh, in the last few months. And as a result, I guess stocks like Oriton very much on the nose. Michael Hill's uh, down, and we even had Nick Garley today, which uh, has been a, a stellar performer uh, and produced some pretty damn good results. Um, unfortunately, the outlook, they said, was uh, somewhat clouded by this consumer sentiment, and they would struggle to make like-for-like uh, uh, you know, -like sales growth uh, next year. So certainly it's, it's, it's a tough world out there for retailers, and uh, Gap is one of those casualties. Mm -hmm. And Transurban, Transurban units fell on the, the uh, forecast distribution was slightly below consensus. Yeah, I mean, this is a stock we like, and we've been, I've been actually pushing it quite hard in the newsletter. It's... Um, you know, it's, it's a great monopoly kind of asset, although the, the CEO was quite keen to, uh, to stress that it was a monopoly. I, I'm yet to work out how the CEO of a toll road, which has already been built, that all it has to do is keep taking the money, um, has uh, paid $6.6 million a year. But there you go, that's a, that's a separate issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, the distribution was a little bit below um, forecast. So I think the thing that does seem to be weighing on the company at the moment is... Um, the level of debt and the possibility that maybe they would have to do some sort of equity funding if they were successful in buying that WestConnex uh, business in Sydney, which um, is the new big uh, toll project in Sydney that the New South Wales government's building, um, and Transurban certainly one of the potential buyers of that asset, and how they would fund it is, I guess, the question, and there's a few people betting that they will have to uh, raise money, and as a result, the share price is a little bit weaker at the moment as people try and, uh, um, I guess, um, you know, uh, uh, just guess when that, um, when that um, capital raising is going to come and therefore profit by the lower levels. And um, over at Yank, oh, speaking of capital raising, uh, a group of investors have appeared to have gone off to the takeovers panel to, to stop the capital raising by Yank. Oh. Chinese, uh, the Chinese government, um, and it's raising quite a lot of money to buy the uh, the Rio Coal and Allied assets, and the, the share price has fallen like an absolute rock. They're currently trying to raise money at 10 US cents with a big uh, uh, dilutive uh, issue, but uh, the share price has just fallen from it was around sort of 35 cents, it's now 14 cents, um, and it just I guess shows the uh, the sort of the pressure on this stock. It's all very well to go and buy these assets. But you do have to uh, find a way of paying for them. Uh, a lot of the big shareholders in the company have said they will stump up the money, but um, you know they've still got yet to do it. And other shareholders not very happy with the performance and being stuck in, you know, a, a something that you are a minority shareholder, and as a result, you do tend to get um, you do tend to get into some issues being a minority shareholder. You're very much beholden to what the big boys want to do, and at the moment, the big boys are. Uh, are, um, are struggling a little bit to find the money for this. And talking of raising capital, Magellan's proposing to raise capital for the Magellan Global Trust, but but it wasn't quite clear to me whether, is that the one that's already listed or are they going to list another one? No, this is all brand Another Another news, one. Stephen. This is another one. So they'll have another um, one listed. Yeah, I, you know, 
know, it's 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 a lot of money there. It's going to possibly be the biggest IPO um, for some time, and they're looking at raising. You know, it could be two and a half billion dollars uh, with loyalty rewards for existing shareholders. Um, it's already got a Magellan Global Fund, um, and uh, they're looking at a listing a thing called Magellan Global Trust. Um, <laughs> which is going to invest in 15 to 35 global companies. Um, they could ha- hold 50% of cash, and they're looking to pay out 4%. I would, you know, um, I would caution against this one. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of these fund managers trying to raise money on, on LICs in the market. They, they're a great business model. They, they cost them very little extra to run another $2.5 billion in, uh, in, in money. Um, they're going to be using the same managers that uh, effectively run the uh, the other global uh, business they've got. Um, so it's it's a real kind of win if Magellan can get it away because they can charge some nice fat fees and performance fees and all that sort of stuff without actually increasing their costs too much. So um, I've, I, you know, I'm a little bit sceptical about these LICs. They they really um, it's a bit sort of money for old rope for these fund managers and, and Wilson Asset Management are really good at. Rolling out these things, and we've seen uh, Investors Mutual do the same thing. And you know, there's a lot of people that have jumped on this bandwagon because it is quite a lucrative business for a, a fund that's already got the infrastructure to uh, to run money. They just run more money, and they try and attract more money. They get a bunch of brokers on board that want to suck up to them, so the brokers push the business, uh, push the IPO, and they they hopefully get some business back when they start doing the transactions, which is makes it a nice cushy sort of gig for uh, brokers and the fund manager. Well, that's what we needed to get Henry a nice cushy gig. Oh, I thought you had one, Stephen. No, isn't, no. isn't doing the radio spot the cushy enough? Oh, that's gig? cushy. Yeah, that's cushy. That's that's always fun. Uh, <laughs> so, so all the results are coming out. If people want to yeah. get up to the minute results, how can they go about that? They can. They can sign up to the uh, themarketstoday.com.au our newsletter, and uh, they can. Uh, they can have a look at uh, all the stuff, and, and we uh, we make commentary on, on most of the results that come out. So whether that's good or bad commentary, you have to, I guess, sign up and have a look. But uh, certainly, it's uh, it's a busy time of year. A lot of a lot of companies reporting, and it's uh, good to try and keep on top of what's going on. Okay, talk to you next week, Henry. It's time for us to check out with Mandy from Centrelink. The latest, it's always good to have Mandy along. Stephen Pritchard, we're looking at aged care at the moment. We're eh? looking at aged care and, and Mandy's a, a resident, our resident Centrelink expert, so she knows all about aged care. I understand she wrote a lot of the policies on aged care, so we're going to have a chat about that today. So one of the things that happened is is that a lot of pensioners lost their concession cards at uh, the end of uh, last year because of the change in the rules. Now, some of those appear to be going to get them back. So how does that kind of work? So everyone, all the pensioners who lost their pensions and subsequently their pensioner concession cards on the 1st of January 2017, that was through the change in the asset test. So there was a rebalancing of the asset test and customers who lost their pension cards were automatically sent um, a low-income health card and a Commonwealth Seniors health card. Now we've had a change in government policy which has been passed into legislation which will see all the pensioners who did lose those pension cards on 1 January have them reinstated and they will be automatically sent out to customers again uh, commencing on the 9th of October 2017. Okay, so the the people who lost them because of the new assets test, um, new people, do they get them or, or is it only the... 
old people. It only relates to the people who were cancelled on the 1st of January 2017 because of the application of the new asset test. Okay. Mm. Okay, so that's clear. So what is that? What is that? What 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 is the process if someone needs additional care at home? Like like someone might need um, someone to do the shopping or or, or come in and do the cleaning mm-hmm. to save moving from home to a nursing home. Is there any kind of benefits available for that? And so the the process moving on to aged care. The process um, with a family member or someone you know, a neighbour it might be who you think might need some assistance in their home or possibly to transition to residential care, the first step in that process is to have them assessed by the aged care assessment team. Mm -hmm. So commonly referred to the ACAT uh, team. And anyone can refer to, to the ACAT team. So it doesn't have to come through a doctor or a health professional. A person themselves can t- contact uh, a neighbour, a family member. And basically the process is the ACAT team will come out to the home generally. Um, they can be done in hospital in certain circumstances, but they like to come out to the home and do an assessment of the person's needs. Mm-hmm. So the first option, of course, is to allow a person to remain in their own home. So the ACAT team will look at home care as the first option and then certainly if the condition um, warrants they may need to move into permanent residential care. So what's, what, what type of assistance is actually actually available, just the major ones that people like? So for home care, starting with home care, the it's what they classify as consumer-directed care. Mm-hmm. So a person is, if a person's eligible for an in-home care package, government-funded, then they there's different classifications of that level of care. The the person contacts the providers that they're interested in using within their area and they sit down with the provider looking at their needs and determine what they would like um, as part of their package. So certainly things like you mentioned in terms of housework, um, transport, shopping, things like that come into it, but also um, other things like showering and, and dressings and medication assistance and so on. So the whole purpose of this is to, to keep people in their homes longer where they're generally happier, I'd imagine. Absolutely, yeah, allowing people to stay at home with the support um, available around them. And so is the cost of this uh, on a subsidised basis or does the government meet the whole, or is it means tested? Or it is, there, there is some testing um, around home care. So for home care, a person... Um, will pay a basic fee, which is around $10 a day. And then based on their income, so for home care we're looking at income only, they will potentially pay a little bit more. So there may be an income-tested fee applicable. Mm -hmm. Now, full pensioners, so someone who's... On eligible for a full rate of pension from Centrelink or Department of Veterans Affairs will only pay the basic fee, um, but part pensioners may pay a, an income-tested fee and certainly self-funded retirees as well. And those income-tested fees are in addition to that basic $10 so the, fee. So the $10 day. per day is every- is the day they use the home care services or every day? It's every day. So there are 14 days in a fortnight. So, so the $10. dollars a fortnight. Basically, you're looking at around that $140 a fortnight mark for the... Um, the minimum cost for certainly for full pensioners, and the government pays the balance over that. Yes, exactly, okay. subsidies. Okay. And so then, what happens if if someone they come out for assessment and then ACAT decides, well, we really need we really need residential care, and they need to move into residential care? What what's the kind of process there? Okay, so for residential care. We, we look at, there's two different areas we need to break it down into. We need to look at the accommodation costs mm-hmm. of moving into residential care and then the ongoing fees. So there is a means test assessment that's done to determine this.
And we might talk about that after a short break. Marie has rung in and uh, has got a question for you. Would you like to ask Mandy your question, Marie? Yes, please. Go for it. Um, I am uh, calling on behalf of my in-laws. My father-in-law is 88, um, almost blind from diabetes and gone in the legs. Now, we got in contact with aged care and unfortunately they only interviewed him and he said no, he was quite happy with the attention his wife gives him. Uh, she's 85 and she's just been diagnosed with breast cancer and has to have surgery on the 24th. Uh, the doctor actually rang this aged care to see if they could get treatment quicker and they were told um, that there'll be nobody available till mid-August. Now, that was like eight weeks ago. Yeah, the, generally the ACAT assessments... There is generally around an eight-week wait for an aged care assessment. They are obviously, you know, they're quite busy with lots of um, call-outs and so on. Um, so unfortunately, that's about the standard time to have an ACAT assessment. Certainly, if it's more urgent, I'd urge, you know, the doctor to contact again if there are, you know, extenuating circumstances. But eight weeks is generally about the wait time. Mm, so it seems as though you need patience, Marie. Thanks for your call. Stephen. We're talking about aged care generally with and, Mandy from Centrelink. And so what happens if there's a change in their circumstances? Um, well, I suppose it's similar to this one. They, they've told them they didn't need help, now they do. So what, what happens with the change in circumstances there? Can, can you well, just get another assessment, can you? Oh, well, an ACAT assessment is valid once it's been done, but certainly if there's um, a change in the person's care needs, they may need a new assessment. If someone's already in the aged care system um, and their situation changes, the, the staff within the facility will necessitate any um, upgrades to their um, care packages within the facility. It, getting back to where we were before the break, in terms of the costs of entering care, the accommodation costs are assessed based on a person's means. So some people entering care um, are required to pay for their accommodation, so potentially lump sum payments or daily accommodation payments, but some people are not required to pay that. So depending on the person's financial status, um, that determination's made at the time of entry. And then when the, if the situation does change down the track, it can alter the costs that a person's paying in care as time goes on. So is there any limits on how much they need to pay for, for these uh, care? When a person's in residential care, um, the accommodation cost is determined by the provider, so they publish their accommodation prices on the My Aged Care website, and anyone can have a look at those online, uh, the entry costs, and the basic daily care fee is set um, in legislation. It's it's tied to the rate of pension. There is something called a means test fee and this means tested fee does have limits applied to it. So there are annual limits applied to it and there are lifetime limits. And interestingly, any uh, income tested fees that a person has paid whilst accessing home care come under those lifetime limits also. Okay, so just wrapping up here, what happens if people need want to find out more information for themselves or their parents or another relative? Yep. Lots of information available online at the My Aged Care website. So it's just www.myagedcare.gov.au or they can hop onto the Human Services website um, and have a look for any Centrelink financial information seminars. We do regularly run seminars free of charge on aged care. Uh, we've got some coming up later this year in Tuggera, Charlestown and Maitland in our local area. Yeah, so the seminars are run in various areas so people don't have to go to the Tugra. Yes. If, if yeah, they look at one that's close to them and they're run by myself and my colleagues. And the someone in the Central Coast. Service. 
can go to run there rather than go to Maitland. So Absolutely. That, that's quite good. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Mandy Barton, and uh, bringing us up to date with things from Centrelink and Stephen Pritchard. It's sort of bringing us to the end of Thursday Finance today. Thanks, Jane. And we will be back next Thursday on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>